two words, Baptists and ethics. They don't always seem to go together, but Mitch Randall, who heads the Baptist Center for Ethics, will tell us more about how they do. Hello, I'm George Mason. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm pleased to be able to welcome to Good God today my good friend and colleague, Mitch Randall. Mitch, good to have you with us. George, it's great to be here. Thank you. Mitch is the recently appointed uh, executive director of what's called the Baptist Center for Ethics. Correct. Now, the Baptist Center for Ethics to many people out there in the world. That almost sounds like an oxymoron in today's <laughs> culture, Mitch. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely you and I have been Baptist a long time, and I'll yeah. bet that most people out in the wider world don't think Baptist and ethics at the same time. And going together. Yeah. So are you like a watchdog, or what exactly is the Baptist Center for Ethics? Right. Well, thank you for asking. First of all, it's, it's an honor to be here with you and uh, uh, talk about these uh, weighty matters uh, that we're dealing with as a people of faith. The Baptist Center for Ethics for 26 years has been uh, educating Baptists when it comes to some of the most important issues that uh, Baptists have been dealing with. Uh, it was born out of the Baptist controversy of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Our founder, Robert Parham, after being dismissed from the Christian Life Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, founded the Baptist Center for Ethics uh, to help Baptists understand ethics and issues from a more moderate to progressive standpoint. Right. And so we've been uh, educating and providing uh, materials uh, for Baptists dealing with issues such as racism, such as Baptist-Muslim uh, relationships, mm -hmm. uh, the judicial system and uh, the flaws that we find in our penal system. Right. Uh, and so really helping create the framework for Baptists to understand some of these issues. But to go back to your original point, uh, we Baptists certainly have earned the reputation of ethics and Baptists going together. That seems uh, to be a contradiction. Right, because we've become sort of famous in the media for bad behavior right. and for, mm. uh, for also theology uh, that uh, excludes people, that continues to s seemingly favor one group over another. You know, when, when I think uh, you and I were being educated in Baptist life, uh, ethics seemed to be a, uh, an option over here, mm -hmm. a, a kind of an elective, so to speak. Right. So there was the center of the Christian tradition and, and, and church life and Baptist life. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get to it, if you have time to address certain issues over here of, of ethical concern, uh, then, then you do that. Right. But I think these, these tumultuous times have now really forced us to examine uh, whether that's really true, and certainly I don't agree that sure. it is. I, right. think, I think nowadays we, we recognize that every statement we make, every relationship we have is mm -hmm. an ethical one, right? Yeah, it's, right? It's about truth or beauty or goodness, mm -hmm. somehow or other. And so whereas a, a Baptist Center for Ethics might have been uh, a luxury over here on the one hand, now it's really speaking to the very heart of 
church life and preaching mm-hmm. and, and, and academic life and all right. of that as well. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. And that is one of the reasons that for the first 26 years of our existence, we were known as the Baptist Center for Ethics. We now currently have a website and we're changing over to uh, more of a, bro- a broader approach okay. in discovering ethics under the brand ethicsdaily.com. Uh-huh. Okay. Ethics matters every day, every day of your life, there you no go. matter who you are. Right. Uh, you you right. need to have this theoretical uh, ethic that you live by, this right. worldview that you live by. But it's not enough to just have that as a theoretical ethic. It must be implemented on a daily basis. And how do you apply that in life? It, it is interesting that I think um, uh, John Howard Yoder uh, was the theologian who maybe first said that mm-hmm. the church doesn't uh, have a politics. The church is a is right. politics. Sure, yeah. That is to say, we are a political body, and it's not that the church is some sort of spiritual bubble mm-hmm. that then you go out from the doors of the church and you enter into a life of political conversation and discourse. Right. Uh, but in, in fact, yeah. the way we treat one another, the, the values that we hold, mm-hmm. uh, these are all ways that we embody sure. the, the things that we believe are, are true. Yeah, and that's absolutely right. You know, and, and politics obviously has a, a nasty connotation to it these right. days, right. And, and well-deserved. But the reality is, Politics is the art of creating policy. Yeah. Whether that is a personal policy and how I conduct my life uh, in, in a very personal manner right. to the point of a social politic of, of how we create policy for uh, not only our country but for the world and other people. Right. Uh, and so how we formulate that policy or politic, personal politic or social politic, is always been at the heart of the church. Yes. I mean, you're exactly right in what Yoder pointed out, uh, that politics has always been a part of us. We are politicians uh, in nature because we're always creating policy, whether it's a personal policy or social policy. So it seems to me that if you look at the landscape of Mm -hmm. Christianity, and this goes, I think, also for other religions as well, uh, there is always this, uh, this sense of whether we have more of an ethic that's about or a faith that's about a a personal spiritual Mm -hmm. piety with God or a kind of horizontal social uh, piety that involves the way we deal with one another. Uh, And and it does seem that traditionally uh, some Christians have had more of a sense that sin and ethics and things that we care about mm-hmm. are about about keeping your heart pure, about right. keeping uh, your family yeah. pure and those sorts of things, yeah. a, a kind of private world. Mm-hmm. And then the more progressive vein of Christianity seems to have focused more on the social or public realm. Sure. Uh, how does Bapti- the Baptist Center for Ethics put those two things together? Do you, do you feel like the, the, those are both uh, part of your emphasis or are you more one than the other? Yeah. Well, it's really at the, crosshole, the, 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 the crossroad of the common good. Yes. Um, and, and when you talk about uh, a personal ethic, yeah. uh, this vertical relationship with God, uh, you are de- developing uh, this very uh, internalized yet and, and private way of thinking about God, of thinking about conduct, uh, con, uh, conduct uh, behavior, and how you view the world. 
Right. But we must never forget we are social creatures by nature. Yes. In the beginning, God created humanity. Right. Uh, when man was isolated, he created someone for man to be with. Mm-hmm. And we must never forget that. Mm-hmm. And even in the first uh, few chapters of the Bible, there is this community nature. First thing Jesus does before he sets out uh, on his three-year ministry is what? He creates community. Right. Because calls he calls his apostles. He calls his apostles. Yeah. And right. so there's this community ethic. And, right. and we, are, we are social creatures by nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how we develop a personal ethic mm-hmm. uh, plays out in the social. Right. Uh, you know, love God and, and love your neighbor are not divorced. They, right. are, they, they are intimately connected yes. to one another. And when Christians look at what's going on in American society mm-hmm. today. Uh, there, there, is, uh, it, it, there seems to be uh, either a cheering for a certain kind of uh, ethical approach that is more about our tribe and sure. our, um, our privileges mm-hmm. that are under assault by those who are other to us. Right. Or there is a discomfort with that and a difficulty in knowing how to speak uh, critically without sounding like we are, um, I, I don't know, uh, just negative Nellies out there yeah. in the public square right, at the same sure. time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do you teach pastors and how do you guide people to address these kind of public concerns? Yeah. Well, not to oversimplify it, but the reality is Jesus is our perfect model when it comes to what we're dealing with today. Mm-hmm. Uh, this tribalism that we find ourselves in. We've always been a, a tribal type of people. We, mm-hmm. we hang out and, and socialize and, and are formed by our tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus was too, uh, in a very right. Jewish sense. Mm-hmm. But when he began his ministry, he made it very clear that uh, he was going to be welcoming and inclusive Mm. to people who were different than him. Wow. And not only welcoming, but he went out and embraced them. All right. So often we have this mentality, we're going to be a tribe, and then if people come to us, we're going to make ourselves feel better and and, and open our arms and welcome them. Right. Ah, but Jesus went out and sought them out. Right. And he went out and sought them out and not only welcomed them, but engaged them where they were mm-hmm. and empowered them uh, with, with his inclusivity uh, and his idea of, 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 of ethics. And it was wonderful to see. And it's a model for us yeah. to mimic today. You know, it reminds me of a, a, a person who, a friend of mine who once was a member of our church. And mm-hmm. I, I asked him how he came to be a member of our church. It was, it was years before I sure. got there. Uh, and he said, well, you know, I grew up in the Midwest, and, uh, and, and he said, I grew up in this particular tradition, I'll not name, uh, of Christianity. And when I came to Dallas, I, I, I went immediately to that church. Mm-hmm. And I met with the pastor, and we were thinking of putting our family there. And I asked, you know, what's, what's the mission of this church? Mm-hmm. And, and the pastor told him, it's, it's to get as many people like you uh, that, so that we, we will be able to continue this Mm-hmm. this tradition of people like us people in like our church. Them. And immediately he said to himself, oh my, I can't be a member of this church. Right, sure. Uh, because, you know, that kind of um, uh, internal exclusivism of people that just look like us mm-hmm. and feel like us uh, is a, a kind of um, uh, incestual problem sure. of uh, of the church that is if it's if it's really following Jesus, it's not being faithful. Right. If, if that's yeah. its approach. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. And one of the the, the, 
the most detrimental things to Christian ethics these days is this sense of demonizing the other uh, mm -hmm. for who they are. Yeah. You know, it, it seems there's this natural sense that we have uh, in, in ourselves to, uh, to, to dehumanize another person simply by the way they look mm -hmm. uh, or the God that they, they worship or mm -hmm. the part of the, the world they live in. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's, it's detrimental and opposed to the gospel itself, right. especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must, uh, as a people of faith, embrace this idea of, exclus or of inclusivity right. uh, and not only welcome people that are different than us, but engage them, go out where they are, because we've earned, we've earned the reputation of being exclusion, exclusionary, right. uh, and we can no longer afford that because we live in the same world. What do you say to pastors who really want to do what you're saying here? Mm -hmm. uh, they, uh, Christian leaders, in their heart, they know that what you're saying is true, yeah. but it's really difficult, the pushback you get sometimes when you preach that way or sure. when you try to right. lead a church to embrace the other uh, and it, it's it's discomforting it's disorienting to people right. they 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 have to have new experiences with strangers yeah. and and to at, rethink sometimes their their own st structure of belief mm -hmm. uh, and yet we're called to do this work right. what help do you give to pastors and encouragement about that begin with relationships okay uh, mimic that as an example for your congregation. Okay. A uh, perfect example for me in the last 11 years when I was uh, pastoring in Norman, Oklahoma. A mm -hmm. um, lot of animosity in the state of Oklahoma towards people of the Muslim faith. Ah, right. And I developed a relationship with the Imam in Oklahoma City, Imad and Jhansi. And it began just by having lunch, uh, having contacts with him, uh, getting to know him, getting to know his family, mm -hmm. uh, inviting him to church, inviting me to the mosque, letting people see us together. Okay, modeling to that. Mod just modeling it to the point where I was able to stand up in front of the congregation and tell them, when you criticize uh, somebody, uh, a Muslim, you're no longer criticizing a Muslim, or I, I, I no longer see Imad as an Imam or right. a Muslim. Right. He's a friend. Right. And don't you dare pick on my friend. Very good. Very good. And when they began to, to, to you know, th those those uh, barriers that we set up began to fall. All of a sudden, we have the shared humanity right. with one another. And when people are able to see a genuine, authentic relationship modeled for them they may be able to replicate that in, in their own life. So I would tell pastors, you know, uh, be intentional. Okay. I engage uh, people who are different than you and model that for your congregation. Well, Mitch, we were talking about tribalism yeah. a few moments ago, and I think we're going to take a break right now and promote a, a nonprofit that's doing a work for the common good. But good. when we come back, I want to hear more. I want people to know a little bit about sure. your own experience of tribalism, per se. Yeah, great. It's very personal. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fellowship Southwest is the new Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Network that embraces and ministers alongside CBF of Oklahoma, CBF Texas, and CBF West. Partnering with Jesus to make the world a more compassionate and just place to live. 
It's about multicultural and ecumenical relationships to facilitate missions, strengthen congregations, develop young leaders, and to advocate causes dear to the heart of Jesus. Well, Mitch, you're an Oklahoma native, and I was just in Oklahoma last week, and it seems to me like uh, every time I uh, cross another highway, I've moved Mm -hmm. from the state of Oklahoma into uh, Indian Territory, right? Sure. right? right. Uh, and it's it, it really is one of those states that has a tremendous Native American presence. Right. Uh, your name is Mitch Randall, but there's right. more to you than that Anglo-sounding name. That's right. That's exactly. You have right. another name. I do. I absolutely do. Uh, you know, everybody knows me by Mitch Randall, but uh, my uh, given name given to me by a Comanche code talker, uh, Charles Chibetti, is Namukatsu. Uh, which means buffalo. Uh, While my name was given to me by a Comanche, uh, I am Muscogee Creek uh, by birth. Uh, My grandmother was the last full-blood Native American in our family, and she passed away years ago. But it's an ancestry that I absolutely cherish. Okay. Well, what what did you learn uh, from that ancestry Mm -hmm. growing up in your family history and in the stories you learned that you carry with you throughout your life and in your work? You know, George, uh, earlier in our conversation, we were talking about the idea of an exclusionist worldview versus an inclusive Mm -hmm. uh, worldview. And my ancestry and lineage uh, really has played a big part in influencing who I am today. when my great-grandmother uh, was uh, brought to Indian Territory in, in now the state of Oklahoma, uh, she was separated her, uh, from her family, similar to what's going on today at the border uh, uh, of America and Mexico. But she was separated her, from her family and sent to a Native American called Indian Agricultural School by the Oklahoma-Kansas border. Her and her sister were taken there because there was a philosophy in this country to save the uh, the person you had to kill the Indian. Wow. Sometimes that was literal. Yeah. yeah. But philosophically that meant to stamp out every aspect of their culture possibly. Okay. And so they were sent to these agricultural schools that was funded by the federal government but run by Christian missionaries. Yes. And the first thing that uh, my great-grandmother and her sister experienced was uh, they were immediately, their their hair was uh, cut. And the the long, beautiful black hair of Native Americans is sacred uh, to them in their culture. And it was was cut into the form of a more uh, civilized uh, people. Uh, They were not allowed to speak their native tongue, English only. Mm. You hear those echoes today, don't you? Yeah, you really do. And when they were caught speaking Muscogee Creek, they were whipped. Mm -hmm. Each and every Sunday morning, they were forced to attend church services. Mm -hmm. And if they were caught skipping, as little girls do from time to time, wanting to go take a swim down at the pond, they were beaten severely. Mm. All under the the, the eyes of the federal government and under the, the responsibility of Christian missionaries. And so, my ancestors felt the sting of this exclusionary worldview and this attempt to assimilate people of color of other cultures into this European mindset Mm -hmm. to strip them of their identity to make them fit the mold that makes others feel more the the white uh, ruling class feel Mm -hmm. you know like they're doing good 
You know, it's it, it, the the critique of colonialism is usually made about colonialism in places mm -hmm. like uh, Africa, South America, and the like. But we had our own version here sure. in the United States with Native Americans, as you're describing, and it it, it does seem to be that somehow we got it into our uh, head that. Uh, Christ was the property of the church, right? And uh, if if we could uh, bring Christ with us and introduce Christ to people who did not know Him, yeah. then we would be doing a service to the rest of the world. Yeah. Although what we're now sort of going back and circling back to realize is that uh, Christ has never been the property of the church. No. He's uh, he's actually. Yeah. Uh, beaten us there and, mm -hmm. and has been at work in other people's religious lives uh, in kind of a, a, a beautiful anonymous way right and, and and what could Christians learn from Native American spirituality if we were listening uh, and, and learning rather than just talking and and teaching yeah well you know this has been fascinating to me as I've traveled around the world to places like Africa uh, and, and other places where I discover a, a historical tribalism, right? but also this ability to embrace Jesus and his teachings probably more genuinely hmm. and authentically mm -hmm. than we have ever done so in right. uh, the West. Yes. Because this, this idea of tribalism, that you're, you're expanding your tribe. Uh, you're, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to look like you or they're going to sound mm -hmm. like you. Mm -hmm. Uh, but this this idea of, of, of welcoming people of, of different tribes into your tribe okay. and learning from their culture and learning uh, from each uh, each other. As far as Native American is concerned, uh, I saw elements of Christianity in their culture uh, that have been rooted there far before Christian missionaries started to evangelize right. them. Right. Their uh, deep-seated anguish for the poor. I'll never forget hmm. uh, attending uh, powwows as a, as a young boy. And I remember watching a family being taken to uh, the center drum area. Uh, and I remember asking my grandmother, you know, what's going on? Because this family was taken there and this beautiful Native American blanket was spread out in front of them. And the drums began to beat and, and people began to dance around in this circle uh -huh. uh, and, and dance around the family. They were honoring the family, but the community knew. And it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of shame. The, the community knew that this family was on hard times. Wow. And so as people would dance around them and honoring them mm. with this dance, they would lay uh, uh, bread and money wow. and tobacco wow. uh, at their feet because they knew that uh, they had a responsibility to take care of them. Wow. They didn't get this from Christian missionaries. It was ingrained in them in their spirituality. Mm -hmm. So when they hear about Jesus doing the very same thing about feeding uh, the hungry mm -hmm. and uh, empowering the poor right. and welcoming the stranger and visiting the prisoner, they see they him have as more of, of a community emphasis uh, where uh, the individual is part of a community and the community comes first in a sense whereas right. it, in, in a lot of our Western thinking it's about the individual mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the personal responsibility of the individual sure. and the community is an afterthought almost mm -hmm. uh, it, so I, I but in the New Testament clearly the church has a more communitarian understanding yeah. of the faith 
And that's a perfect example. Yeah. And what I really love about both the Native American culture and the African culture mm -hmm. is their ability to address critical issues, whether those are localized or more generalized. Their ability to come to consensus on issues. Ah, right. The Western mindset is you and I to debate an issue. You bring your position, right. I bring my position, and we argue. And whoever has the best argument wins the day. Right. Or whoever has the most money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. probably more accurate. Yeah. In ancient cultures that are that are rooted in this this uh, ancient tribalism, not the tribalism that we see today, the elders sit around and they hear everyone make arguments. Mm -hmm. And we, we would characterize it as talking the issue to death. Yes. But they talk about it and assess it from every angle possible okay. yeah. until a, a uh, consensus begins to emerge mm. within the community. Okay, interesting. And it's just, it's a different way of problem solving. It's a different way of uh, conducting and addressing ethical dilemmas that your mm -hmm. culture is, is facing. Uh, but it makes certain everybody has a voice in it. Right. And everybody's representative. So we don't have a consensus today on one particular mm -hmm. uh, matter that is dear to your heart and, and concerning mm -hmm. right now to all of us, and that is uh, immigration, sure. policy, refugee status, asylum seekers, and what we're seeing is a government policy now that is intended to discourage people from uh, illegal immigration, from crossing the border as undocumented, and that is when we catch them and they cross the border, mm -hmm. we separate children from their parents mm -hmm. uh, as a way of uh, making sure that they pay a penalty for that that they don't want to pay. Um, how do we as Christians uh, address a matter of the difference between a nation's right to make laws and mm -hmm. to guard its borders and to have those laws observed on the one hand and on the other as Christians to deal with this um, basic humanity, the welcome of the stranger, right. family values and those sorts of things. Uh, what are you telling churches and people right now as we're wrestling with this? Yeah. Well, first of all, no one is advocating for an open border policy. Yes. Right. You know, there is a realization that no matter what country you are, you are going to have uh, policies that protect your borders and, right. and manage those borders. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's a reality. Everybody understands that. And that needs to be addressed. Yes. Uh, and there needs to be uh, uh, border security addressed and uh, refugee uh, policies addressed and immigration policies addressed. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. What we are seeing taking place uh, on our southern border now is a humanitarian crisis. Okay. We have people fleeing violence. Mm -hmm. We have people fee uh, fleeing poverty and hungry. You know, a lot of people want to, to, to frame this conversation as an immigration issue. Mm -hmm. This is a human migration issue. Okay. Because these mm -hmm. are decent, wonderful, beautiful people made in the image of God. Right. And they are simply wanting to live their life. Mm -hmm. First of all, to live their life to because live many all. of them are dying. Yeah. Yeah. Where they are currently residing and to let their family prosper and live in peace. Mm -hmm. If you and I were in a uh, context like that, we would do everything possible to get our families out of that. Right. And if that means crossing the border illegally, then by God, we would do it because our family comes first. Right. 
So one of the things that occurs to me about all of this is that um, some of this has to do with what becomes of those who do cross uh, uh, illegally, uh, but some of this has to do with who we are as a people, sure. as an American people. And we, we, we once were a people that mm -hmm. understood that we were laying out a welcome mat for the world's uh, oppressed and for those who were fleeing for freedom yeah. and opportunity. Uh, it seems that we have reached a point now where many people uh, want to define America differently. Yeah. Uh, so. I boil it down to American exceptionalism. Okay. Um, when we were forming ourselves as a country, uh, we were more welcoming of uh, the immigrants who were crossing the border. Right. Uh, or crossing the, the Atlantic, right. coming into America. Right. Uh, now, we can never forget, though, we did that at the same time as we were sending Native Americans on the Trail of Tears. Well, and the transatlantic trade uh, and we were slave enslaving trade was trade. having at the That's same exactly time. Exactly right. Yes. right. So, you know, while we like to champion this this uh, right. welcoming of immigrants, Statue of Liberty type of country, we can never forget yes. what we've done in the past. Those, right. those have always existed uh, mm -hmm. side by side. Mm -hmm. uh, when Winthrop talked about the city on the hill, yes. the new the new America being the new or the America being the new Jerusalem, it set into motion this idea of American exceptionalism. That somehow we are better than anybody in the world, and we love to tout that as Americans. Right. I love this country. Right. I love everything about. It. I love the freedom. Uh, you know, I, I love living here. But we've got to be honest about who we are. Right. And the reality is, the people who live south of our border are no less of a person than the people who live north right. of that border. Right. And they have rights just like we have right. rights. Right. And we have this shared humanity as a people of God to stand up for our brothers and sisters and love them and embrace them and empower them as much as we can. Well, Mitch, you are proclaiming that truth, holding forth uh, among us as Baptists and, and teaching us how to live that. Thank you for your work. We're grateful to be partners with you. It's been a great being here. Thank you, George. You bet, Mitch. Okay, good. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Fellowship Southwest is the new Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Network that embraces and ministers alongside CBF of Oklahoma, CBF Texas, and CBF West. Partnering with Jesus to make the world a more compassionate and just place to live. It's about multicultural and ecumenical relationships to facilitate missions, strengthen congregations, develop young leaders, and to advocate causes dear to the heart of Jesus.